If you didn't bring a Bible with you this evening, if you'd hold up your hand, we have extra Bibles. Be glad to let you use one of ours. And if you would turn with me to two openings, Psalm 66 and 1 Corinthians 7. Psalm 66, 1 Corinthians 7. We've already prayed and are believing God, aren't we? Are we really in faith that as a result of these meetings, there will be people make it that wouldn't have made it otherwise? And people, maybe they were going to make it, but they're not just going to make it now. They're going to do well. They're going to flourish. Hallelujah. People that might have struggled with some things for the next several years, but uh, now they won't have to. They'll, things will be changed, and they won't have to deal with that. They can just go on and do the will of God. Be an example. Be a blessing. Well, these two scriptures I had on my heart, and uh, we'll begin with Psalm 66. We've talked about this verse more than once in our special meetings, and the Lord keeps bringing it back to us, so we uh, must be important to us. And it's a shouting verse. You know, some verses are repenting verses. (laughs) And then you shout later. But this is a shouting verse. Psalm 66 and 12. He talked about his people had rebelled against him and judgment came. And they said that men had ruled and ridden over their heads. And and this is the part I want you to see. We went through fire. And we went through water. Is that a good marriage meeting verse? (laughs) But, that's not the end of the verse. (laughs) But, you brought us out. Ah, I like those three words right there. Or four. You brought us out. You brought us out. Say it out loud. You brought us out. out. Say it again. You brought us out. I think there's a lot of folks in here, you could stand up if we had time and it was proper to do so, you could give us a testimony about how God brought you out. You went through some stuff, but he brought you out. But you brought us out into a wealthy place. Glory to God. The uh, New King James, I believe it is, if y'all got that one, there you go, they're quick, aren't they? You brought us out to what? Rich fulfillment. That sounds like a good marriage and a good home and good situation, doesn't it? Rich fulfillment. The good news translation. The good news translation says, you brought us to a place of safety. Others say a place of abundance, a rich place, a place of rich fulfillment. A safe place. You know, every child ought to have the privilege and opportunity to grow up in a home filled with peace. Where daddy loves mama. And mama loves daddy. And they're godly people and they put God first. And they love God and they love each other and they love the children. And the home is filled with peace. How many think every child that comes into the world ought to have the opportunity to grow up and develop. How many thinks it makes a huge difference? 
where the child comes up in something full of peace or whether a child comes in something where mom and dad is fighting all the time, cursing and breaking furniture, leaving and oh, the strife in the atmosphere. It makes so much difference. How many situations would have turned out differently if the environment would have been different? If they'd have had a home or if the home would have been decent. Well, we can't control other people and we can't go back and change the past. But I tell you what we can do. We can set our hearts that no matter what other people do, we're going to love the Lord. And we're going to love each other. And we're going to do what the Word tells us to do. We're going to love our family. We're going to set the example. We're going to let the peace of God rule. Hallelujah. In our churches, in our offices, in our homes, and our cars, our backyards. I mean, our puppy's going to have peace. <laughs> our dogs and cats, our cows and horses, and peace in the pasture. Well, if it's yours, God ought to be able to manifest on it. And he's the God of peace. And when he does manifest, there will be peace. So even if you've gone through some stuff, or even if recently as today you've been going through some stuff, fire and water, we know the one who can bring you out and who will bring you out to a wealthy place of rich fulfillment. Go to 1 Corinthians 7, please. 1 Corinthians 7, the Spirit of God through Paul is answering questions, among other things, that they asked him. The folks at Corinth sent and asked him about marriage and divorce and remarriage, even getting married or not getting married. And in chapter 7, he answers some of these questions. And we believe it's not just him, but it's the Spirit of God given through him. And we won't try to go over all the chapter. If you haven't read this chapter very much, let me encourage you. Read it. Read it carefully and uh, repeatedly. And I would encourage you during the course of uh, the meeting, we have a custom around here that we'll read Song of Solomon. Uh, married people I'm talking specifically about. Read Song of Solomon. And of course, if you'll read a chapter every day, it works out. And also to read 1 Corinthians 13, the great love chapter. If you would, you know, read it every day. It won't take you long at all to read these two chapters. Uh, so read Song of Solomon. Husbands and wives, read it together. <laughs> I'm getting some looks right now. Well, is the scripture good to read? Yeah. And even if you don't understand everything you're reading, realize there's wisdom there. And there's anointing there that's beyond what your mind's getting. It'll get in your spirit if you'll do it in faith with respect. And how many know the great love chapter is just amazing and wonderful? 1 Corinthians 13. But in this 7th chapter of 1 Corinthians, I want you to notice down in the 28th verse. 1 Corinthians 7. Well, let me read 27. 27. It says, Are you bound to a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Don't try to get away from her. <laughs> Are you husband? Are you loosed from a wife? You're in a situation where you were married and now you're not. 
Well, don't just run out and grab the first one you can find. No need for you to be seeking a wife. But, and if you marry, if you get married, this is talking about somebody that had been married before, you have not sinned. Now, that just contradicts uh, what some uh, groups teach. But, you know, you've got two sources for what you believe. You've got what God said, and you've got what everybody else thinks. And if you're smart, you'll analyze what everybody else is saying and telling you they think the Word says by what the Word actually says. Because a whole lot of what people are saying, you know, I saw somebody the other night and they said, well, the Bible teaches so-and-so. And I listened to them for 15 minutes and I thought, well, I can't think of one verse in the Bible. People are too loose with those phrases, aren't they? The Bible teaches and say a bunch of stuff and got no scripture for it. Well, the Bible says, the Bible teaches. Well, no, in order for something to be scriptural, you actually have to have scriptures for it. (laughs) Elsewise, it's just what people think. I don't care how many times they said the Bible says, it's still just what they think. And Phyllis and I have come in and talked about this before. There's a whole lot of teaching on marriage that's just absolutely unscriptural. Contrary to the scriptures. There's a a number of books that are written. And some people get all excited over them. And the people that wrote them have several initials at the end of their name. But how many know just because it's a pretty book and it's a hard cover and got nice graphics. Don't make it true. Or don't make it right. And a lot of times people don't stop to ask a question about these supposed experts. My thought immediately is, how's their marriage? How's their family? How are their kids? And you find out about some of this and you realize these folk, nobody can live with them. And yet they're an expert. Well, that's easy enough, isn't it? Tell everybody else what to do and you never try it out. (laughs) Walking in love... It's always easier long distance. (laughs) We just love these people on the other side of the world. Oh, yeah. We love these folk that we never meet and never see. We love, oh, we love. Listen, if you can walk in love at your house, that's the acid test. If you can walk in love with the people you see every day, live with, you can walk in love with anybody. That's where our beliefs are to be proven and tried. So, you know, I know some people I can still tell you questioning about that previous statement. Remember Jesus at the well, woman of Samaria at the well there talking to her. And and he had that word of knowledge and he said to her, go call your husband. Come here. What did she say? She said, I don't have a husband. Was that true? I'm getting looks all over the crowd. Yes, it was true. He went on to say, well, turn there, John 4. <laughs> We're off to a roaring start already here, aren't we? <laughs> John 4. 
John 4.16. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. Are you there with me? You're looking at the scripture. 17, the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said. You said it right. I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. But of course, the first one you married is really your husband and still is your husband. Groups teach that. Jesus taught something different. Now you have to decide which one you believe. What did he tell her? You have had five husbands. Now let's stop here. Is he acknowledging that each one of those men was her husband? Yeah. What else did he say? The one you've got now is not your husband. How many of just because you live with somebody? That doesn't make them your spouse in the eyes of God. You hear people say that sometimes. Well, we're married in the eyes of the Lord. Said who? Said who? If you're not willing to stand up in front of the Lord and in front of people and in front of your families and make the covenant commitments, it's questionable that the commitment is there. It's like somebody that says they'll confess Jesus, but they don't want to be baptized in water in front of anybody. Why not? If you love him and the commitment's there, you got no problem with it. Marriage is a covenant. It's a holy covenant. It's precious. God ordained it from the beginning, didn't he? In creating male and female. He intended that there be a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, a father and a mother, and children and family. It's his plan. And anybody's distortion of it uh, is not an improvement and is not an acceptable alternative. Is it? You have to make up your I know that's not popular, but if you're a believer, you've only got one standard for your faith. And that's this. It doesn't mean you don't love people. But you can't tell them that their substitute for the word is okay. I've had sometimes people get upset because they couldn't tell me what to do. (laughs) In something concerning the church or something concerning the ministry or something concerning a service. And some of them have looked startled when I looked at them and said, Look, I don't do what I want to do. Why would I want to do what you want to do? (laughs) Right? And if Jesus is really our Lord, that's how it should be. Well, I just let everybody live like they want to. No, if Jesus is your Lord, you're not supposed to just live like you want to. If he's your Lord, you do what he says. You do it his way. And there'll be times when that's not the way you want to do it or not the way your flesh wants to go. But it's time to uh, submit. Yeah, I said it. (laughs) It's time to put your flesh. I know that's not a bad word. That word can save your life. It's time to put your flesh under, put what you want under, do it his way. And how many know if you do it his way, you'll come out. You'll come out 
wonderful in the end. It may not be comfortable at the moment, but you'll come out so, so, so much better than you ever would. No, some of the doctrines that men have come up with about marriage and remarriage and divorce are not right. They've gone away from the scriptures and they've ignored some scriptures. And you see that. Go back to 1 Corinthians 7 if you would. Let me ask you one more time. That woman at the well, at that current moment when she said, I don't have a husband, was that true or not true? Jesus said it was right. That she well said. So just because you were married doesn't mean you are married. And if a person is remarried, that doesn't mean that the husband they now have is not really their husband. But that only the first person that they had would ever be. That's not true. But none of that changes the fact that God hates divorce. That's true too. Now in 1 Corinthians 7, you know why he hates it? One of the big reasons? It hurts people. Devastates people. I mean, that's why he's against sin. Not because it spoils your and my fun. It's because it'll kill you. Right? The wages of sin is death. How many know he's always got our best interest at heart? He's always looking out for us. Always. But 1 Corinthians 7, if you go back there, and 27, are you bound to a wife? Don't try to get loose. Are you loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. But, and if you marry, that's talking about people that had already been married at some point, but were not. If they get married... You have not sinned. Can you see that? And if a virgin marry. Now let me give you some uh, a thought about this. So many times in the King James. It will use the word she with virgin. Repeatedly. And it shouldn't. Virgin doesn't always refer to a woman. Revelation refers to men as virgins. And other places. It's just somebody who's never had sex. It could be man or woman. Never been married. Never had sex. And so he's talking about somebody who had been. If they got married again, they haven't sinned. And if a virgin marry, they haven't sinned. So it's not a sin to get married. And under certain circumstances, even if you had been married before, well, I mean, you got to think about it. What about somebody that was married for years and their spouse went to be with the Lord? Or somebody that their spouse left them, they wanted to stay together. They tried to work it out, but they wouldn't do it. They decided they're going to run after the world or something and married somebody else. And they're supposed to wait on them the rest of their life? No. Numerous situations like this, people could remarry and uh, it's not, they haven't sinned. And people who've never been married and are virgins, they get married. Of course, we know that's not sin either. It's not a sin to get married. Isn't that good news? (laughs) But, nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh. (laughs) Who's going to have trouble in the flesh? Married people. (laughs) now if the Bible says you're going to have trouble (laughs) this is an interesting service already tonight I've heard of a few people bless their hearts 
that try to tell and try to say they've been married X amount of years, never had any trouble. (laughs) I don't believe it. (laughs) I think sometimes people are just focusing on maybe a word. It's a matter of words that they're trying to say, I haven't had this kind of trouble. Let me, and so for people that are a little more legalistic, I'm going to give you the definition of trouble. (laughs) Just to make sure we're all on the same page here. (laughs) The dictionary said trouble is vexation, disturbance, agitation, difficulty, so if you don't like that word troubled, have you ever been agitated with them? <laughs> have you ever been disturbed by something that they said or did or didn't say or do? And uh, one of the words is distress. Distress. Now, I don't have to ask. I know. Every person in here of any age and experience, you've had some difficulty some disturbance, some uneasiness, some distress in your relationships. Not just husband and wife, but parent and child and sister and brother. And Have you ever had a discussion with someone that heated up a bit <laughs> and became tense? Now, the reason I'm taking some time going over what should be obvious to all of us is because we've got a problem with people that want to come to church and pretend they're not having trouble. And if you are pretending there is no trouble and you're ignoring it, then you're certainly not dealing with it. How many understand things don't get fixed by themselves by you sticking your head in the sand? And saying there is no trouble. There is no trouble. There is no trouble. That's how uh, your marriage fails. We've all had trouble. Let me check these guys over here a little bit. (laughs) I'm reading the New Testament. 1 Corinthians, the 7th chapter. And it says married people... Both people that were married and get remarried, people that were never married and got married, they would have trouble in the flesh. So if the Bible says you're going to have trouble, you're going to have trouble. And people that are here tonight that have uh, made it through years of marriage are not people who've never had any trouble. There are people who have made it through. Can I get a witness? There are people who have made it through. Through the disturbance. Through the distress. Through the discord and vexation. and They made it through it. And come out on the other side. And are still here. How many think that's right? Not a matter that they've never had any trouble. It's a matter that they've came through the trouble. So that's the title of my message tonight. Making it through trouble. 
You okay with this? Making it through trouble. Because we know you're going to have some. No need to debate about it. Now, if you're still fussing about that, I feel for you. Because you're trying to live in a dream world somewhere that's not planet Earth. And I've heard people, you know, I've had people stand right beside me and tell about how them and their spouse never had any trouble their whole life. And I'm sitting there shaking my head thinking, I've seen you have trouble. (laughs) What do you mean you never had any trouble? So it's just a matter of what people are calling trouble. That's why I took the time and defined it for you. (laughs) But if you got any questions about it, understand the Bible is right. Just get settled on that. Such shall have trouble, and he tells you why. Because of what? Because of the flesh. Not because it's the will of God. Not because it pleases him. But because of the flesh. You got flesh. I got flesh. More flesh you got, more trouble you're going to have. <laughs> if you got one person... Putting under the flesh, you're going to have less trouble. If you got two people putting under the flesh, oh man, you're not going to have a fraction of the trouble that other people have. And what little you have, you can get through by the grace of God easily and quickly. Thank you, Lord. Turn with me to Matthew 12, please. Let me encourage you. Don't play games when it comes to church and ministry and the things of God. You know, people leave wrong impressions. They preach about and talk about things that that are not really accurate in their life. They act like they never had any low points. They never had any challenges. And they just are amazing superman of faith and and they just stomp their foot and give the command and it happens for dark and <laughs> and uh, people sitting in the crowd are listening to that going, boy, must be nice to be like that, but something must be wrong with me because I'm not that way. The truth is they're not that way either. But you got folks sitting and hearing and thinking, well, I, uh, man, what's wrong with me? And they don't realize it, but everybody else sitting around them is thinking the same thing. What's wrong with me? Well, no. Let's not be pretenders. Let's not put on false fronts. Now, on the other hand, don't be negative and just talk the problem all the time. I'm not talking about that. But some people, they've been pretenders and they've called it faith. They've called it faith putting on a front. No, friend, there's nothing false about God or the things of God. And pretending is not faith. Now, in Matthew 12, we see what the enemy's intent and work is concerning our marriages. Matthew 12. Matthew 12. And let's see, let's start about verse 25 or so. Jesus knew their thoughts, and he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. 
Let me read this to you from some other translations. Amplified says, No city or house divided against itself will last or continue to stand. The English version says, Any town or family that divides itself into groups which fight with each other will fall apart. If the Bible says you do this and you'll fall apart, what will happen if you do this? Now the reason I'm saying some of these things so methodically is because we got people that are doing these things, but then they think it won't hurt them if they make good confessions. I call my family strong. I call my family whole. Well, that's all great and good, but if the Bible said you do this and your family's going to fall apart, well, it's going to fall apart while you're doing it and making confessions. You got to quit doing it and then make the confessions. Division is the enemy's device. The Bible says we're not ignorant, you know, of his devices. Do you understand the enemy? is all the time looking for opportunities to drive wedges between you and your spouse. Don't care who you are, how much you love the Lord, how much you love each other, how much word you know, how much you pray, makes no difference. He's all the time looking to get a wedge in between you two. Because he wants to divide you. Because if he can divide you enough... He can destroy your relationship. He can destroy your marriage. He can destroy your home. And a lot of times your ministry. Should we be on the watch? Should we be ready at every turn to resist Him? And not allow ourselves to be divided? Now, this is an area where All of us have made mistakes. I'm not asking for testimonies, but you wouldn't have to think far to remember a time that you allowed the enemy to divide you. And you backed off in one corner, and they backed off in another corner. And you're at odds with one another. You've taken separate sides. And when you do that, you know, we, anybody that's pastored in length of time, run across this, even years ago before Phyllis and I pastored, I've sat across the desk from people, and here's one of the number one questions that married folks that are having trouble want to know. Who's right? <laughs> huh? Who's right? <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for grace tonight. If you could see some of the looks across the crowd, I tell you, it's very interesting. Now, we may get into some things tonight, and it's possible the Holy Spirit might paint your picture and put your name on it. And if He does, don't react in the wrong way, or everybody will know it's you. Just look straight ahead and smile and go, Amen, Brother Keith. Somebody needs to hear that. Amen. And if you need to, when you get home tonight, just smile smile all through the service and out in the foyer and out in the parking lot. And when you get home, you can go in, smile, hit your spouse, everybody, go close the door and fall across the bed and go, oh, God, oh, oh, and take care of your business. But in here, just be cool. 
Be cool. Smile. You want to practice it one time? Amen. Amen, Brother Keith. Amen. Somebody needs to hear this. Yeah. Glory to God. <laughs> Tell me what the enemy is trying to do every day of your life. I know you don't like to hear it and it's not a nice thought. What's he trying to do? He's trying to divide and destroy. That's what he's endeavoring to do every day. But why should you side with him against your spouse? What's he ever done for you? <laughs> now, I know we all of us agree that that's insane, but probably most of the people in here have done it. Why would we side with him? Why wouldn't we team up against him? Why wouldn't we immediately, when we see he's trying to divide us and destroy us, we ought to be spiritual enough to say, realize what's going on and go, oh, no, you don't, and lock arms. No, you don't. No. You hadn't been able to do it in this past year or this past 10 years or this past 15 years or this past 30 years, and you ain't going to do it now. Because greater is he that's in us. Amen. Then you. And go into resist the devil mode. Go into walk in love mode. We'd protect ourselves. We'd protect our families. We'd protect our investment. You know, a lot of us have invested a lot into these relationships. Haven't we? We're just going to blow it all away? Because the devil fools us? Surely we're not that gullible. Even if we have been, let's not be anymore. The New Living Translation says, A city or home divided against itself is doomed. You understand? We cannot make it on opposite sides. I don't care how many good confessions you make. I don't care how many people you got praying for you. If you're going to square off in different corners and it's you against them and them against you, you do that long enough, you will not make it. Not my words. The master said so, didn't he? How much of this division can we afford? We can't afford it. The longer it goes on, the worse it gets. And if it goes long enough, like he said, you're not going to make it. You won't be able to stand. You won't be able to last. Mark 3.25 in the Amplified says that house will not be able to last. The English version in Mark 3.25 says that family will fall apart. Now this, I think, is enlightening in Mark 3.25 in the Living Bible. It says a home filled with strife and division destroys itself. That was Mark 3.25, the Living Bible. A home filled with strife and division destroys itself. Go please to James. James, and let's remind ourselves of the truth about strife. James 3. 
We still in faith for miracles? Yes, we are. And so many miracles happen deep down in people. They're not always outwardly visible. They're not always instantly discernible. Some of the greatest miracles that happen, there's no noise, there's no fanfare. You can be sitting right beside somebody, not even know it. But the Spirit of God does something deep down inside them. Oh, hallelujah. Something that no man can do. Something that they couldn't do themselves. The Spirit of God is able to do something down inside them. And anointing is released. And life is released. And grace is released. And truth is released. And it may not be completely evident or evident immediately. But something begins to change inside them. And their outlook and their thinking and their responding and their saying and doing. And it alters their course. You know, we get to fly to our meetings and pilot and you're going from here to Southern California. It doesn't look like much when you're leaving Branson, but if you're off by a couple of degrees, time you get from here to there going four or 500 miles an hour, you're not in Southern California. You're in Oregon. You look out the window and go, wow, I didn't want to go to Oregon today. Yeah, but you're there. And all you'd have had to do in Branson was this. Are y'all with me? Just, not this, just this. It's the difference between California and Oregon. How many know tonight or in any service? This. Oh, glory to God. Can be the difference between making it and not making it. You might not see it all today, but I'm talking about throughout next year or into the next five years. How many know a small correction can make giant changes before your life is over? And the Word has the power to do that. Say it out loud. It's happening tonight. It's happening this week. To the glory of God. Amen. A lot of it has to do with the way we approach the Word. And that's why we keep saying these things. We receive the Word. We respect the Word. We say like Mary of old, be it unto me according to your Word. Go ahead and you need to say it out loud. Say it out loud. Lord, change me with your Word tonight, this week. I receive your Word. I love your Word. Enlighten me. Empower me. Enable me. Alter me. me. Change me. me. By faith. faith. I receive your word. word. Be it unto me. me. According to your word. word. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When Mary said that, did something happen? Come on, think about when Mary said that. Something happened inside her body. Didn't it? The word literally became flesh. Literally. And you couldn't see it all that night or that day or the next week. But how many know in a few months you could tell? (laughs) It's exactly what's happening tonight. And this week and any time we approach the word with faith and reference. James 3, did you find that? James 3. What's the devil always trying to do? He's always trying to divide us 
and destroy us. We going to let him do it? We don't have to let him do it. And by the grace of God, we're not going to let him do it. Thank you, Master. James chapter 3 and verse 14. If you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom, now let's just stop right here. Is there a devilish wisdom? Boy, the Lord's helping us big time tonight. I'm telling you, He is. Let me give you an exact manifestation of this devilish wisdom. People that are so sure they are a hundred percent right, and the other person is a hundred percent wrong. Because the truth is, the most enlightened among us. Only know part. When you only know part and you think you know it all, then all these parts you think you know are wrong. And so many times we're up in arms about something, but the truth is they know a part and are wrong about some stuff and we know a part. And they're wrong about some stuff. And people are going, yeah, but I know my part. Well, I know my part. Well, whoop de doo <laughs> Still didn't change the fact that there's a lot of parts you don't know. And it's the parts you don't know that you can be wrong about. And assume things. And the thing is, when one is prideful. It's easy for the enemy to come in there and give you some devilish wisdom. Oh, are you listening? Oh, it's intricate. And it makes you pause and go, hmm. Boy, that's, that's, that's interesting. It sounds wise. But look at the results. The result is more distance. You get further and further apart. How many understand? What's the enemy's objective? Get you so far apart till there's nothing. And he has destroyed your union and your relationship. Dividing. One on one side. One on the other. Husband against wife. Wife against husband. And if we're there, we're not in unity and if we're not in unity we're not going to have peace can't have it if you're in strife let me read it the way the the Lord gave it to me here strife is evidence that division is working peace is evidence that love is working Let me say that again. Strife is evidence that what's working? Division. If you're having strife, what's going on? Are you getting closer together? Uh Uh-uh. What's going on? The enemy is being effective right now in dividing you and them because you're at strife right now. It's working. Whatever he's doing, it's working. The longer we let it work, the further apart we're going to get. Oh, but peace. 
How many want peace in your home? Peace. Peace. Peace is evidence that love is working. Love is manifested. Did you know First Peter talks about this? How husbands are supposed to treat their wives. And wives are supposed to treat their husbands. And he went on to say that your prayers be not hindered. Didn't he say that? So what's the understanding? What if you're not treating each other right? Then your prayers will be hindered. Now you know the Lord wouldn't have told us that unless it was that way. I said this a while back. It'll bear repetition. I, when I was able to work at the healing school at Brother Hagin's ministry. Oh, this is some 25 plus years ago, I guess. We had finished up a session. And I was leaving. We're closing up. And a young mother came with a baby in her arms outside the door just as I was coming out. She said, Brother Keith, could you pray for my baby? And the baby was ill. You could tell it was crying and it looked like it had fever and just felt bad. And, and the mom looked like she'd been crying and you could tell they were in a bad way. Well, I, I started to lay my hands on the child and the Lord checked me and said, don't. I don't mean to hurt a voice, but inside me, don't pray. Don't pray. I backed up, and just in a moment, quicker than I could explain it to you, I knew. And I said, Sister, uh, you and your husband been having trouble? Oh, man, she just exploded crying, just mournful crying. I had to wait for a bit while she found her composure. She said, yes, Brother Keith, yes, oh, it's been awful. I think she said it's been hell. And you know that's not inaccurate? What is the very atmosphere of heaven? Peace and love. It's not just the gold streets that make heaven heaven. It's not just the jewels. It's the environment, the atmosphere of love and peace and joy. Don't you know that's heaven? Can you have a taste of heaven down here? Yeah, you can. You can have, the Bible said, days of heaven on there. You think that would include a good marriage and a good family? Certainly, good relation with your kids and your grandkids. Oh, yeah. You can actually taste of heaven down here on the earth. You can. Well, by the same token, you could taste of hell then, couldn't you? What makes hell, hell? It's not just the fire. It's not just the heat. What makes hell, hell is the environment, the atmosphere. And how many understand there's no peace there? None. What is there then? Strife, anguish, torment, isn't it? Are we supposed to have hell in our house or heaven in our house? We're supposed to have heaven manifested in our house. Do we have anything to do with it? Is it up to us whether we yield to hell's environment or whether we yield to heaven's environment? Yes, we can choose. We can choose. Strife or peace. Tell me which one you choose tonight. Say, I choose peace and love. Well, Let me give you three big keys 
I'm going to kind of give it to you and then we'll back up and talk about it. Can you make it through challenges and troubles? God can bring you through to the wealthy place. Here's three big keys to getting through. One, love never fails. Talking about how to make it through. How to make it through trouble like you've had before or trouble like you ain't never seen. That you could make it through. Love never fails. Secondly, all things are possible to him that believes. They don't act like you've heard this and know all this before. I'm talking about how you can get through because the enemy is always trying to work to get you and me, our marriages, with each other, with our spouses, to the point where we say there's no hope. There's no use. Ain't no point in trying to talk to them anymore. They never listen. I want you to notice how quickly people are to say, well, I'll just leave. And the sarcasm. Well, what are you trying to say? And what's the next thing? You want me to go? <laughs> front and center. Front, right. Smile. Smile. Did you think you're the only one that ever said that? <laughs> the enemy uses the same stuff on everybody. Everybody's dealing with the same things. But I said I want you to notice how quick he'll bring it to you to say. I mean, you've only been talking ten minutes. And it's something stupid like a toilet seat or a toothpaste cap or... Closing the bread wrapper or <laughs> ten minutes and the thought comes, well, you want me to go? Well, I'll just quit. Friend, this is the enemy. He's ever ready to bring those thoughts right to you and well, let's just quit. Let's just quit. Anybody can quit. What does it take to quit? But let me uh, give you a flash. If you quit and you find somebody else, they're going to have flesh too. And when you get there, you're going to still have yours. And you can move to the other side of the world and you still have your flesh and her flesh will be there too. The problem is when you get there, there you are. <laughs> Any relationship, any spot on the planet. So what are you going to do? How many relationships are you going to go through? Nope. God's got a plan. Our plan is to overcome. Because it's what we are. We are overcomers. That's our nature. Hmm? That's our nature. Our nature is when the enemy comes against us, brother, it's strap on the helmet, strap on the breastplate, put on the preparation of the gospel of peace, hold up the shield of faith, quit. 
We removed that word from our vocabulary. Quit. You picked the wrong guy if you expect him quit. And already the devil will begin to realize he has picked the wrong guy. Or the wrong woman. And you say, let me tell you something else. You think you picked the wrong guy. I'm going to make you eat this. You come around here causing trouble and trying to cause trouble in my marriage. Trying to turn us against each other. Trying to lie to her about me. Trying to lie to me about her. Trying to lie to us about our kids. Lie to our kids about us. You saw a rascal. I'm going to make you eat this. We tell my brother, that's what it means more than conquerors. Conquer means you overcame, means you won, mean they lost. What does more than mean? <laughs> means you make them eat it without salt <laughs> or any seasoning. What do you mean, Brother Keith? Give you a perfect example. A lot of you know about Brother Kenneth Hagin and how that he was born with all these problems and incurable heart disease and uh, blood disease, I should say, and chest cavity and all that. And, and uh, how many think that before his life was over and all those decades of ministry and all those millions of books and all the revelation on faith and everything else, how many think before that was over the devil wished he had put that on somebody else? <laughs> Because Brother Hagin didn't just get healed. <laughs> he didn't just get healed and go on his merry way. He went and told the whole world that the devil wasn't big enough to kill him. And then told them how to overcome just like he did. How many know year after year the devil's going, oh man, man. <laughs> oh, not again. Not another million books. No. Not another hundred thousand souls. No, why did I pick him? Why did I pick him? Why couldn't I just pick somebody that would have laid down and quit? So I'm not talking to a bunch of quitters in here now. I'm talking, I'm talking to a bunch of more than conquerors. You're not quitting. You're not giving up. He always causes us to triumph. And we don't just win. We more than conquer. Maybe your marriage has been (laughs) pitiful. Terrible. God could turn that around in such a way that just in a short amount of time, you could be an example for young people wanting to get married. (laughs) Now that's turning it around. And it's possible, all things are possible to him or her that believes. Are you holding the scripture? What you holding? James 3. I'm about to give you three. Three big things. Remember that? What was one? Love never fails. Number two? All things are possible to him that believe. If you're a believer, if you're a faith man or woman, when the thought comes to you, well, let's just quit. You would not say it. You will not say it. Hmm? You won't say it. This is already ammunition to deal with these situations. When the thought comes, well, do you want me to leave? Don't say it. 
Well, I'll just leave. Don't say it. We're not quitters. Don't say it. I'll just quit. It's over. Nope. Mm-mm. I mean, it's going to have to be uh, evidence to everybody else on the planet almost and in the newspaper for the last six months before I'll even consider that it's over. I'm a believer. We're fighters of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. We're fighters. We're not quick to throw in the towel. We're not quick to quit. We're the exact opposite. Thirdly, the truth will make you free. The truth will make you free. Thank you, Master. You know, we need to understand what the enemy is doing concerning these things. Psalm 80, verse 6, don't turn there, but just listen to it. In the Amplified, Psalm 80, verse 6, says, You make us a strife and scorn to our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. You know, when you and I fight each other, especially husbands and wives fight each other, the devil and demons laugh. They think it's funny. When your enemy is fighting each other, well, that's good news to you, right? That paints a picture, doesn't it? Let's don't give him the satisfaction of laughing at us while we say hard things and hurt each other and attack each other, pull each other apart, treat each other like we're enemies. Anytime that begins to happen, I want you to realize the devils are laughing. They're laughing at you. How stupid you are. We should be fighting them, not each other. Same thing's true about the whole church, isn't it? Now, with these things in mind, let me go to this next part. 1 Corinthians 7, we were there in our text earlier. But the latter part of that verse said, God has called us to peace. That's our call. That's our place. And the enemy is trying to get us at a place of impasse or deadlock. Have you ever been there? Nothing more to say. A lot of times by that time people have shouted. They've screamed. They've hollered. They've brought up everything from the past 20 years. Have you ever noticed how that works? Somebody bring up something you don't like. You start trying to think about something about them you don't like. Now get a revelation. This tit for tat stuff. This where you punch me, I punch you. You talk about me, I talk about you. You talk about my mama, I talk about your mama. (laughs) You talk about me being fat, I'm going to talk about you being fat. Slouchy, lazy, dumb, you name it. But I want you to to see. We're not ignorant of the enemy's devices. And I believe tonight the Spirit of God's pulling the cover off of the enemy's devices. Can you see that? So that we don't just, like dumb fools, fall for it every time. Notice how it works. You get to talking with your spouse or somebody else and it begins to get heated up. 
And you begin to think of all these things that they did last year and five years ago and 15 years ago and 30 years ago. You begin to think in detail. I mean, you can say it and remember all of it and recount it all. and It's like you're inspired. Because <laughs> you are. <laughs> but it ain't God. It just flows out of you. I think you can already begin to see one of the big ways that things just get out of hand is because of this right here. Our mouths. The enemy can bring thoughts and he can bring feelings and it's not okay to just yield to those. But when things really start to come apart is when you start talking it. When you start saying it. When you start expressing all that stuff. And then he bring all the stuff to them. And they start expressing it. And the words start to fly. Now strife begins to be manifest. You can feel it. Because division is at work. You are being ripped apart right now. The only question is how far are you going to go? So let me, if we have time. We want to take the time. I want to give you four things about your words and our words that if we will learn them and know them and do them, we can catch ourselves and not allow the enemy to divide us and destroy us. But the point is, are you going to be willing to control your mouth? People have been married for a little while. Let me talk to you. Have you ever been in a discussion with your spouse and something come up to say and you knew? <laughs> Finish my statement. You knew what? See, you already know. <laughs> you knew. Don't say that. So, of course, what did you do? <laughs> but no. No, you... <laughs> You had to say it, you thought. No, you didn't have to say it. When you made that choice, you sinned. I don't care how right you were about the ordeal and how many scriptures were on your side and how wrong and mixed up they were in their mind. When you did that, you sinned. I said, what do you mean? I could give you four scriptures. To him that knows to do good. And does it not. To him it's sin. Sin, the other scripture in Romans talks about whatever's not of faith. is sin. How many know to refuse to walk in love is sin? I mean, the list goes on and on. When you said that to them, were you releasing your faith that everything was going to be okay? No. No. No, there was no faith. Tell me about the big three. Love never fails. All things are possible to him that believes. The truth will make you free. 
These are our weapons. This is what we can use to come through any trouble. Overcome any attack. Any adversity. We're not left helpless and hapless. But when you know what to do or what not to do. You have light. I mean if you hadn't known any better. You wouldn't be accountable for it. But you knew. I didn't even have to finish the sentence a while ago. Which shows what you know. And you're accountable to God for what you know. And I am. So when we knew don't say it. What should we have done? Don't say it. And that gives the Lord opportunity. And time. To work on you. Work on them. For y'all to cool off. Get some sense. But do you get the picture? Things are heating up. He's doing the same thing with them that he's doing with you. Oh yeah. And this phrase that just keeps coming up. Especially if they said theirs that they wasn't supposed to say. You think, hey, 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 they said theirs. <laughs> so I got to say mine now. You don't think I'm just going to walk away. After they said that, yeah, God thinks exactly that. Unless you want to sin against him and against them. Have you ever felt the pressure? Everybody smile. Straight ahead, straight ahead. Come on, just look straight ahead. Amen, Brother Keith. Somebody needs to hear this, yes. Have you ever felt the pressure? Do you know what I'm talking about? The pressure to say it. Just, ooh, just. You're about to bust. What's going on here? What's going Yeah, we got trouble. Why? Because of the flesh. Question is, how much trouble are we going to have before we get some sense? Wake up. Quit hurting each other. If we were half as spiritual as we act like we are or like to think we are, we would recognize that's the devil. I'm not saying that. That's not the truth. That's not love. And that's not faith. You see why I talk about the big three. If it's not love, you got no business saying it. If it's not faith... How many know you and me, especially a lot of us that have heard faith for all these years, ain't no way a word of doubt and unbelief ought to be coming out of our mouth. We know better. We know no matter how we feel, we know to talk faith. Don't we? What does faith say? Faith never says we're going under. Faith never says there's no use. Faith never says there's no way and no hope. Never. What does faith say? Not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by what I feel. I'm not moved by what they said. No. Some way we're going to get through this. God will show us some way. Some way we'll get past this. We'll overcome it. We're coming out. In fact, when this is all said and done, the dust clears, we'll be stronger than we've ever been. Isn't that how faith talks? Is it okay for us to talk unbelief? It's amazing. People know how to make confessions in church, 
But to get at home in the kitchen yelling and screaming with each other and talk worse to unbelief than the unsaved people that live next to them. No, this faith is not just for Sunday morning. It's for the kitchen. It's for the bedroom. If we were really spiritual, even if we were displeased with each other, we'd lay in bed and go, we're coming out of this. And they'd go, yes, we are. <laughs> and you'd say it even though you didn't feel like it all. You'd say, I love you. And they'd say, without feeling like it, I love you too. <laughs> and you'd say, the Bible is true. And <laughs> say, yeah, the Bible is true. How many know two people doing that will come out every time? They will come out. I don't care what has happened, how bad it is, how long it was. They can come out. Tell me again about the big three. Love never fails. What else? All things are possible to him or her that believes. What else? The truth will make you free. So if it's not love, it better not be coming out of your mouth. If it ain't faith, it better not be coming out of your mouth. If it's not truth, it better not be coming out of your mouth. Or elsewise, you're missing it. Or I'm missing it. We already know about the missing it. We've done that. Let's quit that. And let's do this now. Thank you, Lord. I know we're not running the aisles tonight, but we're making good progress. We are. (laughs) <laughs> so I was going to give you four things. Did you remember that? Yes. You want them? Yes. Peter said, you don't have to turn there, but in 1 Peter 3, verse 10, he said, he that would love life and see good days. How many volunteer for that? Yes. Loving life and seeing good days. That sounds like days of heaven on the earth, don't it? Yes. That he may see good let him refrain or keep his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Listen to this verse in Psalms 12.4. There were individuals that said, With our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? Psalms 12.4 If Jesus is your Lord, is He Lord over your lips? Hmm? If He is, then He's Lord over what you say. And you can't just say, well, my lips are my own. If they are, then you're your own Lord. That's one of the greatest things about us. God made us different from other created beings. We are speaking spirits. We can choose our own words and believe or fear or doubt. And we can release spiritual force and substance through our words. Letters... 
are not really important. That's why it doesn't matter what language you say it in. It can be any kind of symbol or figure or letter. That doesn't really matter. And people get hung up over correct pronunciations and correct definitions. And these things change day to day. You haven't communicated until somebody understands. Well, I told you, da-da-da-da-da-da. Well, that don't mean a thing. (laughs) If they didn't understand, you didn't communicate. We could camp on that now, couldn't we? (laughs) You can put different spiritual quantity, completely different spiritual substance in the same vessel of a word. Let's take the word hello. H-E-L-L-O. Change your front one to J and you got Jell-O. Some say, why would you say that? Because you needed to laugh a little bit. Uh-huh. I can say, Hello! Well, hello. <laughs> Same word. But I put something different in it, didn't I? A completely different spiritual substance. It's not just a matter of sound or articulation. It's something completely different coming out of my spirit. And what the Bible say, you can put life in your words. Can't you? Or you can put death in your words. Ephesians talks about this. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, didn't it say? But only that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearer. We are to be always encouragers of the brethren. When we say something, we ought to leave them better than we found them. Is that right? Always looking. The Bible talks about what we'd call the perfect word. He said it's like apples of gold in pitchers of silver. How many know the perfect word is a great thing? That's my ministry. That's my life. That's my craft. What am I doing right now? Believing for the words. The words to do what? Not to discourage you, but to encourage you. Not to confuse you, but to enlighten you. Not to hurt you, but to help you. And if we love each other, that's all we ever want to do. Hmm? Do you love your spouse? Then you never want to put anything in a word that will discourage them. Do you? You never want to put anything in a word that will hurt them or hinder them. Do you? And we've said things we shouldn't have said. You know, all of us, everybody in here. There's nobody has made it from birth till now and never said a wrong word. You've said stuff you shouldn't have said. I have. But God's merciful. He's gracious. He forgives us. 
But let's grow up. Let's learn to choose our words. So here's the four things. You ready? Talking about speaking and words. Number one is what you say. We've already been talking about this. But what you say. The scripture says, In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin. Proverbs 10, 19. Ecclesiastes 5, 3 says, A fool's voice is known by a multitude of words. We have a phrase in uh, aviation. It's called getting behind the airplane. A lot of times among pilots, if somebody had an accident or something happened, and a guy will say, well, you know, they just they got behind the airplane. Pilots immediately know what they're talking about. Aircraft are fast, especially jets. The fastest one is business jets, the Citation 10. That's what the Copelands have. A lot of you have sewn into it, Citation 10 team. Well, that is the fastest thing there is unless you can fly something military. It can do 600 miles an hour. That's a mile every six seconds or so. You're talking to somebody, wonder where we are. Do you know where you are? Do you recognize you're already a mile from where you were? (laughs) Do you see what I'm talking about? You're sitting up there chatting. I know a friend of mine one time, he was telling me about this guy that was real haughty. He was a teacher, but he didn't have much practical experience. And they got to do an actual trip. And they were flying, I guess it was from, uh, where are they flying? Somewhere in Texas to Little Rock. And, uh, he said, uh, the guy kept talking to him about his perfect profile. And, of course, when you're moving that fast, they're in a jet. They're in a fast jet. When you're moving that fast, you have to plan ahead. You have to think ahead. And so he saw he was behind the airplane. But the guy's running his mouth so much till he thought he's just going to be quiet watching. <laughs> and they got to closing in. And they got to closing in. And he said, mm-mm, let's see. Uh, ooh, maybe I should have started down already. Uh Maybe, and he looked at the guy, he said, do you think I'm going to make Little Rock? The guy said, I think you're going to miss Arkansas. Because <laughs> you have to start coming down like 100 miles away or, or earlier in order to be down at the right time. Well, the airplane got ahead of them. The airplane's over here, their mind's still over here. But of course, if it all goes wrong, you're the first to arrive at the scene of the accident. <laughs> but you're dead, you know, a half hour before your head finds out about it. Why are you talking about that, Brother Keith? Because a lot of people have got a Mach 2 mouth and a 20 mile an hour head. <laughs> and their mouth is so far out ahead of their mind. So they all would drive home and, and sit down and cleaned up and lay in the bed before they realized what they said. Now I'm not just exaggerating, am I? <laughs> and that's why 
relationships are so hindered and so damaged, so much is done, because people are just, they're just saying whatever comes to their mind, not realizing the enemy's bringing that to your mind. Remember what James says? Be quick to hear. Didn't he say? Slow to speak. Anybody know that's a scripture? Or do we need to turn over there? Do you know that's a verse? Anybody know that's a verse? Say it out loud then. Slow to speak. Slow to get angry. Quick to do what? Quick to hear. Show me how quick you are to hear. Show me. Somebody starts talking, what do you do? You are quick. Do you know how rare that is? What are most people quick to do? Oh, you talk about quick. Brother, fastest gun in the West had nothing on them. Even if they hush long enough for somebody else to say something, they're loading their guns behind their back. As soon as they get a break, here they come out with what they wanted to say and do. And their mouth is so far ahead of their mind and their heart until they are continuously sinning because they're saying whatever comes across their mind or whatever they feel. Now, I'm not exaggerating. Didn't Jesus say, by your words, you are justified and by your words, you're condemned and you'll give an account for every idle word, what is that? What is an idle word? That's a word you wasn't in control of. It's a word you just threw out there because something crossed your mind. It's a word you said with vehemence because you had a feeling. What's number one? What? What you say? Is it important what you say? Huge. Go to Proverbs 18. Proverbs 18, please. We're not ignorant of Satan's devices. We're getting more light tonight and in this week. And we'll be forearmed, won't we? We'll be ready. We'll be prepared. Things that we let get ahead of us in times past, we won't. We'll see where it's going. We'll see where it's coming from. What's going on with it? We'll say, no, you don't. No, you don't. I'm not saying that. You'll just bite your lip and smile. (laughs) Yeah, but Brother Keith, what if they say there's... Well, let them say it. Show some strength. Show some restraint. Hmm? Because if it's not faith, you can't say it. If it's not love... You can't say it. If it's not truth, you can't say it. Are you going to agree with this or not? Then say it out loud. If it's not love, love, I can't say it. it. Now we know you're able to say it, but are you saying I choose not to say it? I can't afford to say it. It's not right. I don't want to sin. Say it out loud. If it's not faith, faith, I I can't say it. If it's not truth, can't say it. I refuse to say it. Now get the picture, my friend. What if you and your spouse would never say anything to each other except love and faith and truth? 
you would devil-proof your relationship. The devil would still be there. He'd still be trying to do stuff, but it'd be like he's on the outside of a plate glass. Trying to get in your business and can't get in. Because no matter how you feel, no matter how he pushes you and presses you, you won't say it. You won't say it. You won't talk unbelief. You won't talk selfishness. You won't talk lies. You just won't do it. You protect yourself. You protect your family. Protect your ministry. Glory to God. What you say? Big, big deal. Did you go to Proverbs 18? Did you know there's a lot of scriptures in Proverbs on your words? Read it again and mark every one of them. It'll help you out tremendously. It's a huge part of being wise. If you don't make an effort to be wise, what will you be? You'll be a fool. You'll do fool things. You'll get fool results. And you'll be crying in your coffee, going, I was a fool. Sometimes it'll be too late. Because other folk will say, I'm tired of messing with that fool. Someone says, well, they have to love me. They have to forgive me. Actually, they don't. Maybe you should say, they're supposed to. Just like you're supposed to. They have to take me back. No, they don't. They have to love me. No, they don't. You know, when somebody does the right thing with you, and you say, well, they had to, you're wrong. They got a will. They can write you off tomorrow and never talk to you again. (laughs) And never give you the time of day the rest of their life. They got a free will. They can do whatever they choose to do. So it's a huge mistake to take people for granted, isn't it? And go, well, you know, they'll be mad and they'll get upset, but they'll get over it. They might not. Well, they have to. No, they don't. But, you know, you ever do, have you always done what you were supposed to do? (laughs) I rest my case. (laughs) We know what we're supposed to do. You know what you should do. But, uh, no, we want to be thankful. Did you find Proverbs? You already told me you did. You were going to 18, but 16's on the way. 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit goes before a fall. Better it is to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. He that handles a matter wisely, is that what we're talking about, handling a situation wisely? Shall find what? Good. And whoso trusts in the Lord, happy is he. The wise in heart shall be called prudent, and the sweetness of the lips increases learning. Now keep that in mind, we're coming back to that. Understanding is a wellspring of life to him that has it, but the instruction of fools is folly. The heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds learning to his lips. 
Pleasant words are as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. Glory to God. The heart of the wise teaches his mouth. Another proverb says, the heart of the wise studies to answer. What is it? 1528, I think. Studies to answer. You don't want your mouth ahead of your mind and heart. What do you got to do then? An older pilot with a lot of experience told me one time I was in the simulator and they throw all kind of stuff at you. And of course, jets are fast. And you know, you're ripping around at 200 miles an hour and you got all this stuff happening. And he punched me one time. He said, reach over there and pull that throttle back. You just gave yourself time. (laughs) All this stuff is going on, you know. Well, if I got problems, why do I want to hurry up and get there? (laughs) You know what's even better than slowing down? Stopping. Of course, it's hard to do in an airplane. But if you was in a car, you could actually stop and get out. You know, you see people that have just terrible things happen, tragedies happen because they just panicked. And they pulled off on the interstate and left half the car hanging out in the road and jumped out and opened the door in front of a semi. And because they were in such a panic because a little light came on or something happened. No, what you should do, just stay focused. Get off the road. Get away from all this activity. Get to where you can stop. Now stop. Put it in park. Now you got all the time in the world. Figure this thing out. You got time. So I learned to do that. I mean, sometimes my sim instructors would laugh because they know what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, I just pull her way on back. You know, even though the plane will go five, six hundred miles an hour, it'll also go 150 miles an hour. No problem. So you just pull her right back. And I just gave myself five minutes. You can do a lot in five minutes. Why am I telling you airplane stories? Do you know? Because when you're doing this, what's going on? Somebody needs to have some sense and reach over and get the throttle. And go, whoa, 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 whoa. And preferably, stop, stop, let's stop. What are we doing here? Our mouth is way out ahead of our mind and heart. We're just saying all kind of stuff. It's not faith. It's not love. It's not the word. We already got to repent for what we just said. Everybody say, slow down, slow down. down. Pull it back, pull it back. Stop. Stop. And see, this is what he said. The heart of the righteous studies to answer. Yeah, but that takes time, doesn't it? It takes time. Now, I know this is a novel idea to a lot of folks, but to think about what you're going to say. Before it's out. It takes discipline. We're just used to talking. Something comes across our mind, right at the mouth it goes. You have a feeling, comes out. You feel good, so you say, I feel good. You feel bad, you say, I feel bad. Thought comes across their mind, I don't think they like me. So you go, I don't think they like me. Friend, just because a thought came doesn't mean it's true. And carnal 
quarrelers. You'll see this. They talk continuously about their self. And about how they feel. Well, I just feel so. What does that mean? No, no, no. I really feel. You should see some of the looks I'm getting across the crowd. Are feelings facts? Have you ever felt something and it turned out not to be right? So where'd that feeling come from? Didn't come from God. And yet they're real. Feelings are real. They're very real. They can be powerful. But it doesn't make them right. It doesn't make them true. And if you'll just get a hold of your mouth, even though you feel so strongly about it, and not express all that, give yourself a little time for God to deal with you, again and again, you'll come to realize in a few hours or a day or two, you didn't even have a right to feel that way. It wasn't even right. Not only should you not say it, you shouldn't feel that way. Yeah, but I did. Yeah, but it's wrong. We've learned how to do this with healing. We're learning. Even though we feel sick and feel bad, we've learned that doesn't dictate the truth to us. We can believe we're healed even if we feel bad. Can you believe they love you even if you feel like they don't? (laughs) Thank you for that one yes. Can you believe by faith that I love them and they love me even though they are not acting like it and you don't feel like it? Hmm? They didn't act like it. You didn't act like it. Number one is what you say. Number two, and that's what I'm talking about right now, is if you say it. If. I know exactly what to say. Sometimes you get it all planned out and mapped out. And time you get it fixed, ready to go, they're gone. (laughs) Well, that's all right. (laughs) You can always say more later. How can you take back what you've already said? If you say it. Huge deal. That's number two. Number three is when you say it. Sometimes you know what to say, but now's not the time. It's not the place. It's not the time. You can be just as right as can be about what you want to say, and yet wrong place and wrong time, you can miss it. How many know you can be wrong even though you were right? Everybody say when. Say it again, when. Is it important? So even though you're sure about what you should say, and you finally got that settled, that doesn't mean you just spit it out. We got to check our heart and see Is this a good time? Not just a good time for you to say it. Is it a good time for them to hear it? And we need to give each other space. The devil is the forcer. He's the coercer. 
going to make you do it. It's time for another verse and time for another laugh. These will go together. (laughs) Proverbs 30, this will take care of both. I really appreciate you being here tonight. I'm pleased that you know the value of the word and are willing to consider things that are not always pleasant, but you have enough wisdom to know, hey, I can get built up and I can protect myself and my relationship. How many believe this is a good investment in our, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Proverbs 30, did you find it? You weren't far from it. 33, well, we got to read 32, it goes with it. If you have done foolishly in lifting up yourself, or if you have thought evil, show me what you do, help me out. Lay your hand on your mouth. Why? It ain't love, and it ain't faith, and it ain't truth. I must not say it. This next verse goes with it. Surely the churning of milk brings forth butter. (laughs) And the wringing of the nose. Who wants to volunteer for me to demonstrate this? (laughs) The uh, wringing of the nose brings forth what? Blood. So the what? Forcing of wrath brings forth Strife, pushy, pushy is not God. Mm-mm. Most of us have missed it in this area, but let's learn. Notice the wrath connected with it, the anger. And here's how it sounds. Yes, you are going to talk about this. Don't you walk away from me. You are going to do this. And you force the issue. You push the issue. You won't shut up. You just keep pushing and pushing and pushing. Because you're going to make it happen. It's wrong. It's not God. God won't make you do anything. Do you know this is true? He won't. What if you're not doing His will? What if you're disobeying Him? What if what you're doing is hurting your relationship with Him? What will He do? He'll still love you. He can't bless you fully. You don't qualify. He can't be as close to you. Just doesn't work that way. But will he make you straighten up? Will he make you see it? Will he make you do it? No. If anybody had a right to, it'd be him. And he can do it. He has the power to do it. But if he did it, he wouldn't be him. So friend... Monitor yourself. I'm not talking about, don't get your mind off of them now. Some folks sitting there thinking, yeah, I told them that wasn't right. We're talking about you. 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 Forget about them. 
The moment you get that edge in your voice, start pointing your finger, pounding the table. You are, you are gonna, whoa, wait, wait, whoa, whoa, what? You are forcing strife. You're causing strife. And the Bible gives us a picture. It's like ringing somebody's nose. And you just won't quit. I'm going to ring Keith's nose here. And I just ring it and ring it and ring it and ring it. You think he'd be very open to hearing what I'm saying? Well, I'm wringing the blood out of his nose. Now, you better listen to me, Keith. You He's like, man, if you will quit that, maybe I can listen to you. You keep pushing. Everybody say pushing. Pushing. See, the devil is pushy. He's demanding. He's pushy. You're going to do it. You're going to do this way. I've had all I'm going to take out of you. And you're going to change or else. No, the truth is, they never have to change. And you can't make them. That's the truth. You try to act like you can do something you can't do. And a lot of other family members get involved as well. You know it? Because wives will leave and husbands will leave and they'll go to their folks' house and cry on mama's shoulder like a baby. This is not okay. And mamas are saying, well, yeah, it is okay. No, it ain't okay. People who run to their family members and tell them all the faults of their spouse are unfaithful. They are betraying confidence. It's all right to let somebody encourage you and love on you. It's not okay for you to divulge the secrets of your relationship with people. It is you being unfaithful, betraying confidence and trust. All you got to ask yourself is, do you want them doing that to you? You want them going telling their folks and their friends and their buddies they play ball with or their people they work with all your failures and mistakes and every stupid thing you ever said? Tell me what love does. Love covers the multitude of sins, doesn't it? How many know that is not running and telling? So much of what happens between you and your spouse should stay between you and your spouse. Because you tell somebody else and all they hear is your twisted interpretation of it. You don't tell them everything you said and did that led up to them saying that. It's wrong. It's wrong. And so what happens is ladies will run to their mamas and their girlfriends and and guys will go tell their buddies and and this or that. And then their friends join sides with them against their spouse. 
What do we got going on here? Division and strife. And it's every evil work. It is a manifestation of the devil himself. And the demons are laughing while we chew each other up. Another scripture says this. In fact, let me see if I can find it for you. Because you need another laugh right now. (laughs) Uh, Help me, Lord. Where is that one? Uh, 26th chapter. That's it. Proverbs 26. Thank you, Lord. 26 and uh, 17. He that passes by and meddles with strife belonging not to him is like one that takes a dog by the ears. (laughs) Is that an intelligent thing to do? But see, the picture is strife. So not just a nice little puppy you could pet. you got to be a dog that pictures strife. We're talking about a pit bull foaming at the mouth. And what you going to do? You're going to go over and grab him by the ears. <laughs> You're going to lose an arm. <laughs> Which is exactly what's going to happen to you. When you take sides with people against their spouse and their family, I don't even have to have you raise hands. A lot of you in here already, you did it, and they got back together the next day, and they both took sides against you then. But you were the one that grabbed the dog by the ears. It wasn't any of your business. You should have stayed out of it. So what do I do, though? They come, and they're distraught, and... They want a shoulder to cry on. The big three is all you do. I don't care how much they try to get you to talk about them. All you talk about, come on, help me out. All you talk to them about is love never fails. And all things are possible to him or her that believes. And the truth, the word of God will make you free. Yeah, but he's been so mean to me. Well, love never fails. And all things are possible. I'm talking like a broke record, man. That's all you say. That's all you do. She did this and she did that. And what sounds like y'all need to talk and get it worked out. Do not, do not take sides. If you do, you're just as dumb as somebody runs over and grabs a frothing at the mouth pit bull by the ears and goes, let me take care of this. Well, what do you think he's going to be doing while you're doing it? (laughs) That's their business. They should know enough to not be coming over here trying to tell you all their business. And if they don't, you be kind, but don't participate. And help them get back on track. With the big three. (laughs) We've already touched on this. But we'll finish with this one. Number four. Number one on your words is what? What you say. Number two was. If you even say it. Number three was what? When you say it. Boy there's so much more you could say about every one of these. When you say it. Don't push it. There's a right time. If somebody don't want to hear it, what should you do? Most of the time, you should be quiet. 
There may be exceptions, and the Lord will let you know, but most of the time you should back off and see if they, you know, there will be a time. The Lord will let you know. And number four, can you guess what it is? How? How you say it. Go to uh, 15th chapter of Proverbs. We were there just a moment ago, but look at the very first verse. 15 and 1. What does it say, 15 and 1? A soft answer does what? Turns away wrath. What about a hard answer? A harsh answer. Well, that's going to stir up strife. We already talked about that's like wringing somebody's nose. You're just going to keep pushing, keep pushing, keep forcing the issue. A soft answer. And we also saw that the sweetness of the lips in our previous passage increases learning. Everybody say those two things. Soft answer. Soft answer. Sweetness of the lips. Now, this is where real spirituality comes in. You don't have to act like you feel. And that's not being a hypocrite. It's being in control. And choosing what you yield to and what you don't. If you've been in ministry or spiritual leadership for any length of time and have endeavored to grow, you've experienced some of this. There's been times with me where somebody really messed up, really messed up. And I'm ready to talk pretty strong to them. And they walk in the door. And all that will come up is softness. How many know I should be spiritual enough to yield to what he gives me, not what I feel? Now there's been other times when I thought it wasn't that big of a deal. And the Lord dealt with me to deal more strongly. It works both ways. But... Is it possible to be all worked up and yet get a hold of yourself and answer softly? I'm not talking about with this hypocritical too sweet. I ain't talking about that. I'm talking about genuinely you got a hold of yourself and you're choosing to answer the right way. And the sweetness of the lips does what? Increases. Learning. Now we said you haven't communicated until somebody understands. And here we have a spiritual truth that shows you people will get more out of it if you say it the right way. And here's a big one. You'll remember it if I say it like this. You asking or telling? <laughs> well, we're having fun tonight, aren't we? You okay? You going to be okay? What are we talking about right now? How you say it. And this point is, you asking or you telling. That can make the difference between this tenseness lasting 20 seconds or the rest of the week. So many times, if you just ask a question, instead of saying, I told you. I'm telling you, ask a question. Is that right? Is that the way? 
Is that what you meant? Ask. Somebody say ask. Humility asks. Pride demands. Tells. Pushes. Forces. Say it out loud. Ask. Say it again. Ask. It'll come up in you to tell and to, to demand. Get a hold of yourself. Pull yourself back. And if it's right, and if it's the right time, how many know while we figure all this out, we're going to be being quiet a lot? Have you deduced that much? <laughs> now, as you develop, you'll get quicker about putting it together. But really, a lot of folk have never practiced this. They've never really developed in this. It just crosses their mind. They spit it out. They feel it. They say it. They even brag about it. Well, I tell you with me, you always know where you are. I mean, I ain't no phony baloney. Hey, I don't like you. I'm going to tell you I don't like you, all right? I don't like it. You're going to know it. And people will say, it's my heritage. It's where I'm from. It's this and that. Hey, hey, I'm just real. Yeah, real carnal. (laughs) A spiritual man, a spiritual woman studies to answer. Their mouth is not ahead of their heart and mind. They don't let their mouth get ahead of them. They decide what they want to say. They say what they say on purpose. They say it the way they choose to say it, not the way they feel. How many think this is spiritual? Go to James in closing. In control. Choosing. To speak words of love. Choosing to speak words of faith. Choosing to speak the truth only. Thank you, Lord. Chapter 3, James 3. Verse 2. In many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word. What he or she says. The same is a perfect Man, that means a complete, a developed individual, and able also to bridle the whole body. Are we talking about growing up here? Talking about being mature, being developed. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouth that they may obey us. We turn about their whole body. The ships, which though they be so great, are driven to fierce winds. They're turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. We've learned how to control horses and Learn how to control ships and even spaceships and airplanes and cars. and Boy, we ought to learn how to control our mouth. How to steer that thing. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. One translation says, look how big of a forest can be burned from one little spark. How many of the enemy is always trying to get that spark? To start to burn down your relationship. And where does that spark come out of? It comes out of your mouth. comes out of their mouth. We're not ignorant of his devices. God's equipping us. He's empowering us. 
I know some things came out that were kind of close to home tonight. But just, you know, repent before the Lord. It's not everybody's business. We've talked about that. But how many believe that where there had been strife and there had been all kind of evil stuff, we can make that a thing of the past. We can get a hold of ourselves. I sense the faith in here. We can get a hold of our mouths. We can control ourselves. And I'm telling you, what used to be rough and fussing and strife could be a place of peace where people can come in. And be ministered to where people who, you know, especially those of us who have been married for several years, we ought to be able to help the younger people that are married. Show them what to do instead of them looking at us and seeing we're in worse shape than they are. (laughs) You know, there's a whole lot of people not getting married nowadays. They're just not. And it's because of all the disaster marriages they've seen is one reason. They think, well, man, I don't want that. A lot of them saying, I don't want to be like mom and dad. I don't want that. Oh, but friends, how many think if they could see the real thing, if they could really see a man and woman portraying Christ in the church, having days of heaven on the earth, they'd want that. I said they'd want that. I remember a young lady that worked with Phyllis some years ago. She was an unbeliever. And, you know, sinners have trouble beyond our trouble. And she, I won't even go into all the stuff that happened, but she hadn't been able to sleep for days, and she was in a terrible, terrible way. And Phyllis decided to just bring her home from work. She was working under her, so she brought her home. Boy, the girl was in a mess. Her eyes were black. You know, just not being able to sleep for days and days, that alone will put you in a bad state. But it was a lot more than that messed up in her life. And she was just at a point where she didn't know what to do. And so I came in from teaching at healing school and stuff, and she was there. And we said, you know, just lay over on the couch. Just lay there. We got quiet. and I, At that time, our, we had already begun to learn some things about marriage and putting some of our trouble behind us, and we had more peace in our home. You should be able to tell it when you walk in the door. And I told her, you know, just lay down there. I went over to our piano, a little bitty upright thing, and. I just began to play and sing praises to God. I could tell within 30 minutes, man, she's, she's relaxing. She, tension's going out of her. I told Phyllis, I said, take her over there in my prayer bedroom where I pray. And just put her in there so she can sleep. She took her in there. And what was it, Phyllis? You didn't come out the next morning or the whole next day? Or was it like 48 hours or something? She came out. She'd been asleep all that time. And when she came out, she looked like a different woman. The peace of God. How many think our churches, our homes, our cars, our places of business, our property ought to be refuge of peace in the midst of this strife-filled, hatred-filled world? I mean, the last thing people ought to experience when they walk into our house is where we've been fussing and fighting and screaming at each other. They can get that in the world any day of the week. It ought to be a refuge of peace. Hallelujah. And I believe peace is on the increase right now. Hallelujah. Stand on your feet. Oh, thank you, Master. Oh, thank you, Master. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries 
and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.